Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back, 11 o'clock hour, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. We will uh, get the governor's uh, press conference coming up here as soon as it starts. We're monitoring Channel 13 right now, and I'm assuming they're going to cut into it, right? Yeah, I got a live stream also link up here from PBS. Well, Trent, it is time. They're breaking news, and Uh they've gone to the anchor, uh, Megan Ruther, uh, on uh, television, so I'm assuming Governor Reynolds is walking to the podium. We're going to play it. Um, We have no idea. Here she is. is real, and I want to acknowledge that the last week has been especially hard. We've been anticipating that our numbers of COVID-19 cases would climb, and last week we saw that happen. We had an additional 444 cases, and most unfortunately, we had an additional 16 deaths. My sincerest condolences go out to the families, the caretakers, and the communities of the Iowans that we've lost to this terrible virus. Today's update of the numbers include 78 new positive cases, four new counties for a total of 946 positive in 75 counties. We had 680 negative cases today for a total of 10,653 negative cases. The State Hygienic Lab has the capability of testing 1,850. We have 99 hospitalized as of last evening. We have 284 recovered. And I am sorry to report that we have had three additional deaths, one older adult in Lynn County and two elderly adults in Tama County for a total of 25 deaths in Iowa. Unfortunately, we expect this week will be equally, if not more difficult. As we've seen over the last few weeks, COVID-19 possesses the most risk of serious illness among older adults above the age of 60 and those with chronic and underlying health conditions, often resulting in a more severe illness and an increased risk of death. Even with the significant and proactive measures we took beginning on March 10th to restrict visitors to long-term care facilities and to screen staff before entering for work, 10% of the state's total number of positive cases are among residents and staff of long-term care facilities, and 48% of our deaths have been residents of long-term care facilities. In Lynn County alone, 71 of their their 175 total positive cases are directly related to an outbreak in a single long-term care facility. Two additional outbreaks have been identified in long-term care facilities in Tama and Washington counties. The Department of Public Health and the local public health officials continue to work closely with Iowa's long-term care associations and facilities to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in those settings and respond when residents and staff become ill. But every Iowan has a responsibility to keep our families, friends, and communities safe, especially our most vulnerable and our health care workers who are serving on the front lines of this crisis. They don't have the luxury of staying home. These heroes among us are putting their fears aside and showing up 
to take care of us. And we need to do our part by taking care of them. We need to stay home and we need to be responsible. I know that I've asked a lot of Iowans over the course of the last month, and today I'm asking more. Since the earliest days after confirming COVID-19 was here in Iowa, I issued a uh, proclamation of disaster emergency, and I have taken targeted, systematic approach and driven by data from our state's public health experts, epidemiologist team, and guidance from the CDC to implementing significant mitigation strategies aimed at slowing the spread of the virus, such as ordering schools and businesses to close, postponing elective and non-essential surgeries, and prohibiting gatherings of more than 10 people. Today, I'm ordering additional businesses and establishments to close through April 30th, including malls, social and fraternal clubs, bingo halls, bowling alleys, pool halls, arcades, in, uh, amusement parks, libraries, museums, zoos, skating rinks and parks, outdoor and indoor playgrounds or children's play centers, tobacco and vaping stores, racetracks, toy, gaming, music, instrument and movie stores, and campgrounds. All of the closures and restrictions outlined in the disaster emergency proclamations will be enforced, specifically the limitation on social gatherings. At this time, I'd like to invite Commissioner Baines from the Department of Public Safety to say a few words about how the state and local communities are working together. Thank you, Governor. The Department of Public Safety and local law enforcement agencies throughout this state stand ready to protect and serve all of Iowans whenever they're called upon, including now during this health emergency. This week, the government will be, excuse me, the governor will be issuing guidance to local law enforcement officials and police departments throughout the state on their role in enforcing the orders outlined in the various declarations of disaster emergency. As the governor mentioned, violation of these orders could result in the filing of simple misdemeanor charges, but worse, your actions may needlessly place Iowans at risk. Law enforcement has no desire to cite or arrest anyone. Most Iowans are being responsible and doing their part. It is only a small segment that is throwing caution to the wind and ignoring the limitations on social gatherings. That small segment, however, can have an enormous impact on public health. As a result, law enforcement will take reasoned and measured steps if we are forced to do so. However, first and foremost, law enforcement is asking Iowans to take their individual responsibility seriously and police themselves so we can conserve our law enforcement resources for those who truly need it. Should personal responsibility fail, law enforcement will always seek first to educate the public on the law and the need for it. Second, law enforcement will encourage Iowans to comply and disperse on their own if needed. Finally, should all other reasonable measures fail, then and only then will we do what the law requires and enforce the governor's orders. But again, I cannot stress this enough that every Iowan has the ability and responsibility to do their part in slowing the spread of this virus. I would ask Iowans to own their behaviors and be part of the solution rather than the problem. Your willingness to do so is critical in protecting your own health as well as that of our first responders, our health care workers, and your fellow, fellow Iowans. 
Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner, and uh, thank you to our local government officials and our law enforcement for your support in this effort. You know, I believe Iowans care about doing the right thing for the greater good, and I believe we all want to protect the most vulnerable among us and safeguard our health care providers and essential workers who are the heroes during this uncertain time. I believe that most Iowans are being responsible, but I need every Iowan to take responsibility for their health and the health of others. This week is critical. Stay home. The best way to avoid being exposed to the virus or exposing others is to stay home as much as possible. Leave home only for essential errands like getting groceries, necessary supplies for medicine needs. Send only one person from your household and go to as few places as possible. Practice social distancing. Always keep at least six feet from six feet of distance between yourself and others, regardless of if you're out in public or just outside in your neighborhood. Enjoy, enjoy outdoor activities responsibly. Get outside. It's important for your physical and mental well-being. But again, maintain social distancing of six feet between yourself and others, and don't gather in groups of more than 10 people. Work from home if you can. Uh, and only go to work if necessary. If your job requires you to work at a physical location, practice social distancing, careful hygiene, and frequently disinfect your work area, and isolate yourself if you're sick. If you or a family, family member has symptoms of a mild illness, stay home, wait seven days from the onset of your symptoms, and at least 72 hours from the time all symptoms have resolved to return to normal activities. Let's all do the right thing right now to protect each other. To all of our health care providers and essential workers, thank you. I know this is especially difficult for all of you. You are our warriors, and we can't win this fight without you. Thank you for showing up and for being the best self for the people who are counting on you. Please know that we have your back and we'll do everything we can to support you through this time. Be safe and stay well, and, I, and we will get through this together. In closing, I just wanted to let Iowans know that we are making some changes to the press conferences starting this week. We will be holding them Monday through Friday. Um, we'll take a look at Sunday, but they will be at 11 a.m. going forward. So I want to thank Iowa PBS for accommodating this change and for being such a great partner during this time. Um, and thank you to all of the media outlets and reporters for your flexibility. And with that, we'll go ahead and take questions. Governor, what was the threshold that was crossed or the data point to lead to these additional closures? And can we also get an update on um, the, the score of the six regions? Yep, yep. So, so as always, we take a look at the data and we take a look at what are some additional places where people are gathering that we don't feel are essential businesses or essential services. And as we continue to look through the list, um, I have said all along, I'm not hesitant to add as we feel necessary. So as we see people gathering, as we take a look at what some non-essential activities may be, then we will continue to add them to the list. Do we have the update for the regions? Okay. 
So I don't, I don't think I have the exact map with me, but I will tell you that we ha none of the six regions at this particular point in time have met that um, threshold metric of 10 or above. Um, the regions five and six on the eastern side of the state, they do continue to have our highest scores, and that's where we have um, our long-term care outbreaks that have been confirmed as well as um, our mo the most cases in our state. And so um, while I don't have the numbers specifically in front of me in terms of where each region, or, region is at, this morning, I can confirm that none of those regions have um, risen to the level of a 10 as of this morning. And I can incorporate in the press conference tomorrow those because we monitor that morning and night and then throughout the day. So we are watching that carefully, looking at the data and analyzing the situation as it evolves on a daily basis. Appreciating you all don't have the numbers in front of you. Can you say if any of them have gone up or down? The only... I don't want to give out. We can get back to you on that. Okay. Well, and we're happy to. We're, we're happy to get you that information. I just don't want to misspeak and then cause some concerns where there probably isn't a reason to have any concerns. Governor, that it would appear from what you're saying today and what you released yesterday with these long-term care facilities, so you now have Cedar Rapids, Tama and Washington. Can you talk about what the state is doing to protect since those you have so many people who are closed in? Obviously, the centers themselves have already done their own rules about yeah. no visitors and all that. But obviously, you have a lot of people who have relatives who yeah. live in these facilities who are clearly concerned about what's happening. So can you kind of detail what's yep. going on and yep. where this is going? Yeah, and so we knew that from the very beginning. We have an older population. We have over 444 long-term care facilities, and we knew that they would be the most vulnerable based on the data that we were receiving as we moved through the COVID-19 crisis. And so as early as March 10th, we met with the long-term care facilities, the associations, to talk about what they were doing, what we were recommending to make sure that we were prepared and ready. And as early as March 10th, um, they started restricting uh, visitors except for end-of-life circumstances. Uh, we, the Department of Public Health, required long-term care facilities to report if two or more residents of staff had respiratory illness, again, to get in front and to make sure that we were managing and hopefully preventing um, the onset of long-term care breakouts because we knew that those were our most vulnerable. Uh, we have the state also with our facilities and the Iowa Veterans Home restricted visitors also based on not only Department of Public Health, but CDC guidelines and CMS guidelines as well, so they mirrored what they were doing. Uh, we've also, the Public Health issued guidelines for extended PPP, PPE use in our long-term care facilities, and uh, even on April 1st, they recommended using PPE, face masks, and eye protection in long-term care facilities for all patient interactions. They also, I'll let Sarah talk about that, but they work with these facilities one-on-one -on -one to, to just make sure they're getting the resources and the information that they need. But I, I want Iowans to know that we knew that this would be an extremely vulnerable population, and that's why we took very significant measures early on to start to really limit access to protect and to make sure that we were doing everything we can to mitigate um, the, the effect of COVID-19 on our vulnerable Iowans. Do you see that some folks, I'm sorry to interrupt you, do, do you see that this will reach a threshold where you actually have to essentially evacuate 
Well, and because you have a lot of residents, as you know, that share rooms, and we're hearing that your roommate may have it, and there's no other place, no other where, no place else for you to go. So families have been concerned with that. Yeah, thanks Dave. So what I can say is um, the metrics for a confirmed outbreak in a long-term care facility are that we have identified at least three residents um, with a positive test result. And so I'm just going to walk through with you the things that our staff walk through with each of these facilities um, every single day in terms of measures that we're asking them to take. And our understanding is that these facilities, they want to do everything they can to protect their residents. And they are, they are walking through this with us on a daily basis to ensure that they're doing everything they can to prevent the spread of infection within those facilities. So we ask them to immediately send home any employee that becomes ill. Isolate all symptomatic residents in single rooms. Cohort staff so that dedicated staff are working with ill residents and not with healthy residents. We are asking employees to use face masks and eye protection at all times for all resident care, and we've actually gone ahead and made that recommendation for all long-term care facilities in our state, in addition to those that are experiencing outbreaks. We've asked them to consider gown and glove use at all times for all resident care to the extent that the PPE is available, but certainly in facilities where outbreaks are being experienced. We've required them to screen all employees for fever and cough or breathing problems at the start and end of each shift. And this uh, recommendation applies. It's actually a mandatory order uh, for the governor for all long-term care facilities, not just those experiencing outbreaks. Again, for all facilities, no visitors should be allowed in the facility unless it's an end-of-life situation per CMS guidance. We're asking these facilities to screen all patients for fever and cough or breathing problems daily. We're asking them to coordinate with their local health departments, EMS, and hospitals to plan for higher care needs. That includes plans for when and where to transfer patients and how to communicate a COVID-19 risk to the transport team as well as the accepting facility. We're asking them to understand that if residents do become ill, those residents may worsen on day seven to eight of their symptoms. We're asking them to work with their local public health agencies to ensure that test kits are readily available for any additional residents that become symptomatic. And we've asked them to identify any other health care facilities where staff work, including recommendations that staff not work in other facilities if possible, and at a minimum if they do need to work to use a face mask and eye protection for all patient care in any health care setting where they may be working. And finally, we're asking them to establish a communication plan with staff, residents, families, public health, as well as members of the general public. With the testing, since that's been a concern both in our state and across the country, how do, how do you make sure that especially the employees at these facilities can get those before they have to reach the really serious level that a lot of other people do, or, or, or are they treated the same as everybody? Well, so, um, and part of the testing criteria for the state hygienic lab, of essential workers are identified as a priority for testing um, through the, 
the test that the state has available. And certainly employees of long-term care facilities would fall into that essential workers category. We have also been facilitating testing at some of the facilities that have been identified with long-term care outbreaks by working with the state hygienic laboratory and local public health agencies to make sure that we do have testing capabilities um, in some of these facilities where there are concerns. And as we bring more testing capabilities on with our hospitals and with other labs, that has really allowed the state hygienic lab to focus on those areas that we need to so we can get in front of it. And I just want to reiterate something that Sarah said, and it's just that our long-term care facilities across this state are doing everything that they can to make sure that they're taking care of their residents. And we're extremely proactive uh, very early on, reaching out to us to really coordinate and, and work together to protect a very, very vulnerable population. So just a, a just a, a heartfelt thanks to all that they're doing day in and day out and again their workforce that you know are the heroes standing up to take care of um, sick individuals and so they they've been really proactive in all of this as well question go back with um, testing and how what's the advisement to local public health officials for folks who might be positive but you can't get or are not being tested because they don't meet the other criteria um, oh, as far as contact tracing goes. So local public health would get involved with contact tracing upon confirmation of a positive test. And what I understand your question to be is if somebody thinks they have um, COVID-19, but they haven't been able to get access to testing, our advice would be the same that has been from the beginning. If you're ill, whether you believe that you have COVID-19 or any other respiratory illness, we are asking you to isolate yourself in your home. And we're asking you to isolate yourself in your home for at least seven days after your symptoms begin and to stay isolated for at least three days after your symptoms resolve, including your fever. In addition to that, public health recommendations at this particular time echo what the governor has just, has just mentioned this morning. We're asking everybody to stay home. Leave your home only for essentials like groceries or trips to the pharmacy. If you do need to leave your home, practice social distancing by staying at least six feet away from others. <clears throat> and, and that would apply if you do have to leave your home to go to work or whether you're leaving to go to the store to get essentials. And then again, as I just mentioned, if you are ill, regardless of whether you think you're ill from COVID-19 and you're not able to be tested or any other illness, we ask that you isolate yourself from others in your household. So if somebody shows all the symptoms but they can't get a test, but like public health is not... But, but they have other means of doing that, so call your doctor. The same thing applies. Call your doctor, walk through the symptoms, they will do an assessment, and they, if they believe that you need to be tested, they will bring you in. Yeah, and I'm sorry for not being clear. Is this, I'm talking about for potentially passing it to other folks um, who then may be oh, asymptomatic or then pass it along them. Other folks. Yeah, well, I mean, she just said if you're sick, stay home right now until, you know, if you don't have the ability to go in, but you're feeling mildly ill, I am telling everybody, stay home. You need to only go out for essential reasons. Otherwise, if you're feeling ill, especially, stay home. Uh, Kay Henderson. Do you want to? Well, I was just going to add, I think the question you're really asking is about asymptomatic transmission and some of the information that comes out. So maybe you might not be feeling ill, but you might be concerned that there's asymptomatic transmissioning happening in the community. And as we've said, we should all assume that the virus is circulating in our communities at this particular point in time. 
And that's why when you do leave your home, that's why social distancing is so incredibly important. Because social distancing is what will pre prevent the transmission of the virus when we do have to be out of our homes, when we do have to be around others. If we can maintain a distance of at least six feet between us, that is a, social, that is a measure, a public health mitigation measure that will help us prevent the transmission of the virus from asymptomatic individuals to the extent that they are out in our communities. Thank you. Kay Henderson, Radio Iowa. Governor, the Small Business Grant Program you unveiled in March was a total of $4 million. Many small businesses are having difficulty obtaining the, the Small Business Administration Loan Program. Will you expand the state grant program? So we're meeting this week. Uh, Debbie and her team was supposed to get them scored through the weekend, so they've been working diligently to score the applications that they've received. So by this week, we'll take a look at it, and my expectation is that it will be expanded. I don't know to what extent right now, but uh, we will be meeting with her. If not today, it's tomorrow. Oh, today. Okay, we'll be meeting with Director Durham today to walk through um, the scoring um, uh, the scored applications and make the decision moving forward. So that's probably something we'll be announcing either tomorrow or Wednesday to let you know where we're at and the decisions that been the decisions that have been made. Carolyn Cummings, next question. Uh, good morning, Governor. Um, so, um, Sarah, you said that there's been no um, none of the thresholds have been met in the regions about um, stay at home, um, yet, you know, there's more business closures and, and, you know, you guys are both saying encouraging everyone to, to stay home. And I've had a lot of viewers reach out to me and they're just trying to understand why when you say what we're doing is equivalent to a stay at home order and yet there is this threshold that is out there to meet to issue a stay at home order. Is it fair to say that what we're doing right now is sheltering in place and then separately, um, you know, some people are, are, are wondering if, you know, this would just bolster the message that this is serious. So I'm wondering if you have an answer to that. Yeah, well, I have said stay home. I have said, I have ordered that you can't gather in groups larger than 10. And we are going to hold Iowans accountable to following through with what I've ordered. We have said stay home if you're sick. Stay home and limit your number of trips to essential reasons only. Groceries, medications, doctors. Exercise, but exercise responsibly. We, we, we have taken a very targeted and incremental approach we have expanded as necessary as we have. A, we take a look at additional areas that, that might, um, you know, uh add to the, the risk of transmission where it's the highest, and we've added those to the list where possible. But, you know, as I said last week, almost 80% of our workforce is essential workers, and so they're going to continue to travel. So the rest of us needs to be as responsible as we can, and we need to practice what we're asking you to do, and that is stay home as much as you can. I also have to balance it with, you know, you know, other areas too, well-being, mental well-being, and making sure that, you know, if you ask people to stay in longer than they need to, then they are really going to stop paying attention to what you're asking them to do. So we have to be 
targeted. We have to be um, specific. I'm using data to base our recommendations on additional, uh, taking additional steps. I will do that if we hit the criteria. I'm not afraid to do that. But it has to be significant, and we have to meet the thresholds. And so we're watching very closely the different regions. We're looking at the data every single day, and we're analyzing what else, if anything, that we need to do to uh, make sure that we flatten the curve, that we protect the most vulnerable, that we are doing everything we can to protect our health care workforce and our essential workers that are out on the front line doing everything they can to take care of us. And so we need to do our part to take care of them, and we do that by limiting our um, trips from our home. KCCI. All right, that's uh, going to do it. That will be, uh, a, sounds like a daily occurrence here. Mm-hmm. I don't know when the bright time is to bow out, but it seemed like they were coming to the end. So if you joined uh, in progress, additional business closer, uh, closings include malls, bowling alleys, pool halls, arcades, amusement parks, playgrounds, tobacco vape scores, stores, campgrounds, skating rinks. What else am I missing? I think uh, I think you hit the the gist of it. For the certainly. most part, I think we did seventy eight new cases. I believe was the number. Yes, uh, that she said three additional deaths. Uh, three additional deaths. Yep. So this is going to happen um, at eleven o'clock, I guess, yep. going forward. So we will carry those and. Um, so we get past this. All right, let's do this, Trent. Uh, we'll get here from Vinny Iyer. We'll get back into sports with Vinny Iyer coming up here. Uh, he covers the NFL for the Sporting News. But right now, KXNO and iHeartRadio want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword HOPE to 200-200 right now. That's your chance to win $1,000. HOPE to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, Miller and Condon joined by Vinny I from the Sporting News next as we take you up until noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO 107. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, 25 minutes before the hour of, well, noon. As we take you up until that point, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Trent Condon, Ken Miller, joined by our buddy Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Uh, he covers the NFL. His latest mock draft, or his mock draft, has been posted uh, What earlier this morning. The very latest from Vinny Iyer at the Sporting News. I'll tell you, Hawkeye fans, your guy, A.J. Epinesa. To America's team. How about that, Trent Condon? Like it. With pick in the late teens. Vinny Iyer, Northwestern grad, three-time Jeopardy champion. He joins the program. Vinny, Trent, and Ken, good to talk to you again. Vinny, how are you? Uh, doing well, guys. Thanks for having me again. Oh, appreciate you coming on, Vinny. We really do. You know, before we get into the draft, etc., a couple of big-name quarterbacks still looking for their next, I, I guess, uh, next uh, gig. Um, Jameis Winston, who clearly... You know, he threw a lot of touchdown passes. He's got the eyes fixed. He had the LASIK surgery. A lot of folks, myself included, think he can play. And then the 2015 MVP of the NFL, Cam Newton, who you saw play a ton of his games uh, during his NFL career. Um, I'm surprised that neither one of those guys have found the landing spot next. Are you, Vinny, and, or do you have an idea where they're going to end up? Yeah, this one's really tough because we've gone really deep in the free agency. There's... It hasn't been much activity of late, and teams are getting closer to the NFL draft, so they're making their decisions, and their salary caps are kind of in place. So 
you wonder what's going to happen here. Is it the old, it takes an injury, we're old, we have to see what happens in the draft and we make a trade or a signing that time, say a guy like Andy Dalton moves and then you're changing up your backup in Cincinnati for Joe Burrow or something like that occurs. So there has to uh, be some event that triggers these guys being signed at this point, an injury to another player, something like that. So it's very tricky right now that these guys are not signed. I think it's hard because both of them being first overall picks, there's probably perception they're looking for a certain kind of money base here. Well, at this point, the market has dwindled. The value is pretty low. I don't think you have to pay them as uh, first overall picks at this point with that kind of pedigree. At one point, maybe the process, you're looking at $19, $20 million. But now I think you're looking at more 8 to 10. We saw with Marcus Mariota, that deal, I mean, he was – looking good here for starting gig. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ryan Tannehill came along and he took over the job and Tannehill was signed on the cheap and uh, took his chance and made the most of it. So it's hard to believe that, but that Newton and Winston, wherever they go, are not going to be guaranteed spots and they're probably going to have to scrap it and fight as a backup. So maybe that's coming into play too, is after these guys have pretty much started their entire careers with a team feel comfortable with them as a backup, knowing that they're itching to start, and could they be comfortable with them as a willing backup with some upside? Vinny, we haven't gotten your take since the biggest uh, news, well, on-field news of the NFL offseason. Tom Brady to Tampa Bay. Like it? Hate it? Think it's going to be a success? Where do you sit as you look at that move and what he has on the outside with that receiver group? Well, I like it. I think it makes the NFL more fun when you have a storyline like this. We saw what happened with Peyton Manning and the Broncos. That ended up pretty well in the end. So we like this. I mean, Brett Favre going from yep. the uh, Packers to the Jets and Vikings and all that fun stuff that came with that. So it it happens a lot in the NFL. I mean, the Drew Brees uh, thing, it still happened. He switched teams earlier in his career. So it's just hard in the NFL to stick with one team your entire career, even if you're a football player. And I think with Brady, he or a quarterback, and I'm just saying this is going to be fun because he kind of handpicked his team. He wanted to be in a situation that he could control, a team that was going to roll out the uh, orange carpet for him, so hmm. to speak. So now he's here in a spot where a team that wanted him, the team that wanted to invest in him beyond one year, and also trust him with a pretty talented uh, group of skilled receivers there. So uh, I think it's pretty fun to watch. You now you get uh, Tom Brady versus Drew Brees twice a year, Matt Ryan in there, Teddy Bridgewater changing up the division as well. So the NFC South is going to be a lot of fun in 2020. No doubt about that. Uh, Vinny, I want to uh, we'll speculate as to what we may see this fall here before we before we get out of here. But one more on a free agent that's out there. Look, Jadavion Clowney's a difference maker when he's right, and we've certainly seen him, you know, both ways at right and uh, and and you know taking some time off seemingly uh, in his career so far. But my God, if he's not motivated after you know his market is as cool as it is, I don't know what it's going to take for Clowney, but but what about Jadavian Clowney? Are, are you surprised he's still out there? And what's the market like for him, do you think? Yeah, again, that's probably what he was looking at. He's looking at more the Marcus Lawrence money, that $23, 24000000 million. Well, I think teams are afraid of a couple things, the durability issues and 
He's a guy that has had them even last year with the Seahawks. He missed some time with the core muscle thing, and that is a concern. And again, that mystery sometimes can give teams pause. On top of that, they look at the sack total. I know this is something that you can't totally judge a pass rusher on, but only with three sacks last year. But you look at a very effective player against the run, has the potential to go up there and put 15 sacks up in a season. But I think that's where the just maybe not seeing the market value is. Like you want those gaudy numbers rushing the passer if you're going to pay an edge guy. You just don't want a dominant player against the run who occasionally is going to get to the quarterback and be taken out with double teams. So maybe he's just learning about his true value in terms of the perception of other teams. So I think right now I'm going back to Seattle taking a relative bargain deal. It's a team that needs him. He fit in well last year. He does what they want in their defense. I think that's his best bet of all the teams that are still out there that have uh, thrown things out. I don't think I want to end up with the Browns at this point with the the limited success that I could have opposite Miles Garrett. Talking right now to Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News on the NFL and NFL Draft. He joins us on Miller and Con. And Vinny, to that draft, and as we look forward, it is 17 days away from that opening Thursday night. With it, it's not going to be every team has every member of their war team assembled together. There's going to be people that are in there via Zoom, via Skype, and, and talking to the different people. And there's issues that can come up. How likely do you think it is where all of a sudden – our head scout, the guy we were getting ready to draft, his internet just went down. Or Deesh. the Zoom call <laughs> just disappeared. We can't. There's got to be something here. And with it, does the NFL have something in place where, all right, your 15 minutes are up, but we're going to extend it because this happened? Has there been these kind of conversations? You have to assume there has been. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's something with that technologically there. But there's always some conversation, right? I mean, there's guys in team facilities or someone at uh, New York or Las Vegas or Philadelphia or Nashville trying to deliver the pick and get the pick into the podium. So there's always some kind of communication system going on, but hopefully it's not like fantasy football where guys are just sitting around <laughs> right. and at the end and like, I don't know who I'm taking. I don't know. There's like 15 guys. Hopefully you have a organized scouting department where you have a list and People know what you're doing, and I think the key for them is somehow, I know with this social uh, distancing and uh, the limiting of the gatherings, is get your most essential people in the room if you can. I mean, so I think you're going to see teams try to get five or six people that are the most important decision makers right there together. So that part of the lag isn't there, and maybe just have a couple other guys that are maybe scouts if they have any differing opinion in the later rounds, maybe they get called upon. But I would think it's very important for teams to be organized, at least early in the draft. I mean, you have day one, day two, day three, it's a lot easier to navigate here with a limited number of picks. But when the clock is shorter and things are faster, that's when you have to have everyone uh, working on the same page. I never even thought of that aspect of it, gentlemen, and you're right on. Uh, Vinny, um, again, I, I do want to save time because I want to get you to speculate as to what you might see this fall, but one more on the draft from me. <laughs> Tua Tagliavoa has apparently been given a clean bill of health. There's no way that Cincinnati's going back and forth in their war room. Is there Boa or Bur- Burrow versus Tua as to what that decision would be? 
Ah. I mean, I think I think Tua is going to go. I think somebody's going to move up to two to get him if Cincy doesn't take him. Have you heard anything along those lines that Cincinnati is truly going back and forth as to who they will take first overall? I can't see it at this point because Joe Burrow. I think this is kind of underselling Joe Burrow. It's like Tua Tagovailoa has been okay. He's the guy with upside if he's healthy. We will. He's a preferred guy, but. You look at Joe Burrow's season, it was a transcendent season. Yep. The way he played, threw the ball downfield, and this wasn't some gimmicky college offense. This was an offense a lot of pros run right now. In fact, Joe Brady, where did he go? Yeah, exactly. He to the Panthers. He came from the Saints. So he executed this offense at a high level. He put up numbers we haven't seen before in college. He spread it around to NFL-like receivers and tight ends. And running back. So everything around him was an NFL caliber team. And he did this at a high level against the toughest competition, arguably, there all season long in the SEC. So when you think about that, I don't know what else Joe Burrow has to show that he has pretty massive upside here. And he doesn't have any health concerns. You don't have to worry about it at all going into the draft. So I think Joe Burrow, as far as quarterback picks go, they're never safe. But I feel pretty good about this one if you take Joe Burrow where to attack ball, there's still a little bit of doubt there, isn't there, until you see him on the field and uh, really respond and they can get back to the action. Vinny, as you're digging in, it seems like uh, every time we get ready for a draft, there's a guy that you like and you're kind of, oh, boy, why isn't this guy higher? Is there somebody you're falling in love with here during this draft process that you can't understand why he's being mocked in the 20s or 30s or whatever it may be that you've gone through these different players? Well, one player, I'll say he's more of a second-round pick to me, and uh, he's not necessarily mocked in my second round, but it's because I think teams have a hard time placing him as Chase Claypool of Notre Dame. I just look at this guy. He's big, strong, and he's fast. I think some people can't envision exactly what position they want to put him in. Is he a big slot receiver? Is he a tight end? Is he a guy you put on the outside? Is he your deep threat? I think sometimes a player with a kind of versatile range sometimes confuses some teams, and maybe he hurts his stock with some but rises with the other. So that's going to be interesting to watch here at wide receiver. I think there are varying opinions about a bunch of guys. I look at uh, ranging from Jalen Rieger to Denzel Mims to uh, Brandon Ayuk. There's a lot of late first-round, second-round picks even to the third round, where I feel they're pretty close. You just have to get them in the right offense that suits their talents, and you're going to be very happy with that pick. Yeah, Ayuk from Arizona State, he's one of those receivers I think is flying under the radar a little, little bit. Vinny, I see your biggest dropper, at least to me, um, you know, Grant Delpit, you've got going in the second round. This was a kid who began the year as maybe a top five pick, but there certainly didn't have the season behind it. And I agree with you, uh, on that. But we'll, we'll talk more about that maybe in the weeks to come, Vinny, because we're going to impose on you leaning up to this. We appreciate, uh, the fact that you are, you're there for Trent and I. But, uh, what, what do you expect this fall, Vinny? What, um, you know, back of your mind, how are you thinking that the NFL is going to proceed? I saw that the, the president had a, a call with a number of the commissioners. Um, what do you anticipate when we get to September? Do we start on time? Do we start on time without spectators? Right now, Vinny, how do you see it? I mean, for now, I mean, you can be cautiously optimistic about starting on time. I mean, September, 
seems like quite a long way away, given how long March was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of these months are going to feel really long. So it's still a while away here. You don't know what decisions are going to be made. You don't know if uh, the curve is going to be flattened uh, as well as people would like. Maybe they're ahead of the curve on flattening the curve. So we have to watch all this stuff carefully. And, and I think it's a week-to-week process with all this. But the one thing that's on the side of the NFL is the time. I mean, it, um, even college football has to start in late August. Well, the NFL is going to be starting late. I mean, Labor Day is on the 7th here. So you're September 12th, that gives you a long, long time uh, to figure this out. So I would say right now things are on track, but you never know. And uh, you also don't know if you get to the fall and uh, there's a resurgence. You just don't know right. with the weather and everything changing. So you can't assume too much, but I would say it's safe to go along with the rest of the NFL offseason and that schedule. Minus maybe getting together for OTA mini camps, but I think you have to proceed assuming things are going to be out there on September 12th. Good stuff, Vinny Iyer. Thank you. I will uh, reach out to you next week. Appreciate it, Vinny. All right, thank you. Good to talk to you. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News' latest mock draft was posted this morning, sportingnews.com. Quick time out, back to wrap it up. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And this station. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Final couple of minutes here on a Monday. Murph and Andy coming up today at 2. The Fanatics are in at 4. Of course, Morning Rush will start it all over again tomorrow morning at 6. Tomorrow, Trent, we have Restaurant Radio. We're going to move it up a few minutes because now the governor's press conference is airing on our show and we will make a commitment to our audience to carry it uh, at 11 o'clock going forward. As long as she's speaking at 11, you will hear it here during our show uh, for... I don't know what the right time is. You listen to it all. The all once right. it starts getting repetitive, I don't know the answer to that. There's no playbook for that, so we will just, um, Aaron, I don't know. We'll, we'll do our best. How about that? that but we're going to do restaurant radio tomorrow. We're going to bump it up a few minutes. There's still a couple of slots. Uh, if you own a restaurant, work at a restaurant, know somebody, uh, and want to uh, hear about their restaurant or that restaurant on our program, uh, we do this twice weekly. There's no charge. We basically give you a... Two, three, four-minute infomercial to tell our audience what about your restaurant here in Central Iowa. Uh, does it need to be a locally owned? I mean, chains employ Central Iowans, and that's good enough for me uh, and for Trent. So if you want to be a part of it, uh, you to share your story, what you're doing, to go carry out. We've had probably, I don't know what the number is. What would it be? Oh, oh, 50, cl- oh, more than 60? that. Yeah, 60 probably. Yeah. Uh, so far, and uh, there's we're missing a whole bunch of them. So mm-hmm. if you want to be a part of it, simply um, you can go to Miller and Condon, our Twitter feed, or email me, kenmillershow at gmail.com, kenmillershow at gmail.com. Reach out to you via email, give you an approximate time as to when you're going to be on, and you can share with our audience what you are doing, what's on your menu, uh, what's been real popular, 
how you're navigating through these difficult times because we want you open once the all clear is given and folks it will be uh, at some point, as you know. So tonight we'd be getting ready for the national title game. I know. I didn't even want to bring it up. Your Gonzaga bet would be pending? I think it would. You'd be hedging on the Zags this Yes, evening? I would. I, I would. You're big on a future wager. What was that, late January? All yeah, of a sudden you popped so. in here one Monday. I got the national champion. <laughs> right. Felt well, pretty good about it. Got my soapbox out, stood right, stood tall on it. and <laughs> Well, you get that bet back, right? Yeah, we do. All right, uh, Murph and Addy, too. Thanks for being with us here today. Thank you to Eric Heft, Scott Dockerman, and Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. And thank you to you for spending some of your morning with Trent Condon and myself. Murph and Addy, too, Fanatics at 4. We are Miller and Condon, 10 to noon weekdays on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM.